Welcome to Dreamland, a program dedicated to an examination of areas in the human experience not easily nor neatly put in a box. Things seen at the edge of vision, awakening a part of the mind as yet not mapped, and yet things every bit as real as the air we breathe but don't see. This is Dreamland. It certainly is. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another Dreamland Sunday evening. I'm Art Bell. My guest uh, shortly is going to be Dr. Carla Turner, uh, published with regard to the human abduction syndrome. A number of uh, books, as a matter of fact, should be coming to us from uh, Arkansas. First, though, as always, we're going to turn to Linda Moulton Howe. All the way back in Philadelphia, Linda kind of keeps watch on the UFO uh, community, uh, crop circles, animal mutilations, that sort of thing. Um, uh, the whole, whole spectrum, the whole range. And she does so most times from Philadelphia, which is where I believe we're going to find her uh this evening linda welcome to the program once again hi Hi. uh so you know this summer uh one of the stories that i have uh touched on now two or three times has been uh, the finding of mutilated animals in northern new mexico uh there were in may two steers on the eli hornet ranch uh in angel fire new mexico which is uh, east of taos and two of those steers uh, were examined by both a veterinarian and pathologist, Dr. John Outschuler in Denver, Colorado, who confirmed that all the excisions of tissue in both of those animals found the same day on May 14th had been cut with high heat. Since then, there have been other mutilated steers found July 24th and August 17th, and now by this weekend, the 13th animal has been found on the same ranch. Oh, boy. And tonight I talked with Albuquerque investigator Gail Stalin, who spent this weekend on the ranch, went out to help uh, collect tissue samples for me and for Dr. Altshuler. And right now I uh, want to uh, have our listeners hear her firsthand report, and then I'll give uh, an update on another pathology exam after that. So here we go. All right, very good. And once again, this is our new sound system. It's forward lane north of the water towers, I'd say maybe a mile. So we walked to the site. It was by a little pond, and it was laying on its left side. Uh, the rectum looked like it had been poured out. Uh, the bandage was... Well, it was kind of... It looked like it had been singed in a way. Um, was it darkened and smooth? Yes, it was darkened. So we went ahead and took samples of that area. Uh, we opened up the mouth and noticed that uh, half of the tongue was missing. So we took samples of that. And how was that cut? Just in a straight cut. Vertical? Yeah, straight across. And very was it very smooth or any? It was pretty smooth. It didn't look like the buzzards had been uh, on it or anything because uh, the mouth was closed. <laughs> but the tongue was definitely removed part of it. <laughs> I would say this this uh, bull was maybe eight eight hundred and fifty pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, the penis was gone. And how was that removed? Uh, it, it looked like it had been poured out also. Meaning, was it high, deep, or deeper? Oh, it was deeper. It was deeper than just hide. Deep. Was it deeper? And like, uh, describe the kind of hole. 
Um, I would say it was maybe eight inches round, um, and it was just a hole, just a hole where it had been removed. And what could you see in the hole in the cavity of the body? Well, nothing, really. I mean, you could tell that it was gone. You could see um, part, part of um, the rib cage, I guess, was there. Some type of a bone. I know the hip bone was exposed. The buzzards seemed to have been kicking at that because it was torn tissue. Mm -hmm. You know, the hide was torn mm -hmm. uh, around the hip. But um, what that appeared to be after these other excisions. After yes. the fact. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. And, and was the, uh, were all the excisions in the rectal area and the penal area, were they dry? Was there fluid? They were dry. They were pretty well dry. It wasn't real moist until we cut into it. Mm -hmm. And the blood inside was a real watery, it looked like real watery down blood. Mm -hmm. It wasn't real thick. Um, Okay, and so you were uh, trying to get some lung tissue and some internal tissue. Right, we were trying to get lung samples. Uh, the heart was real mushy. Was um, only the heart mushy? No, there was other, uh, the liver was kind of mushy. But the heart was just, oh, it, it looked bad. Mm. But, uh, the lungs were uh, pretty clear. I didn't see any marbling mm -hmm. in the lungs. Which may have been, uh, if there had been marbling, it could have suggested pneumonia or something. Right. Uh, we didn't see that, but we went ahead and took samples of it anyway. And what about the ear and the eye? Okay, the yeah. ears were intact, the eye was gone, but I, it looked like buzzards had been picking at it, mm -hmm. you know. So I couldn't really tell um, if the eye was missing due to... You know, anything other than the buzzards, you know. Now, was this uh, the animal where there was a report from a neighbor of a large black helicopter over the animal? Uh, not that I know. I, I didn't talk to any of the neighbors. Okay. Uh, that must have been two that, you know, this week. So I really don't know which one this is because I didn't see the one earlier in the week. Then it was the one on Wednesday because I talked with Eli about it and there was okay, a... Okay, this was the Wednesday bowl. Okay, and this was, uh, there was a large black helicopter that was seen right over the area. Right, um, right. Has and a lot of the townspeople have seen that they've seen this helicopter. They're quite aware of the helicopter activity going on. Um, and they also say, gee, you know, anytime we see the helicopters, we know Eli's going to have another one. Anything special about this particular helicopter? I have been told that it's a bell-shaped helicopter. The front, of it, the front end of it is glass. So it's probably an older one. A bell-shaped helicopter? Mm -hmm. How would you explain a bell-shaped helicopter? Well, that's what the people up there say it is. Two people told me that, mm -hmm. that it was a bell shape. Do they actually hear the sound of the helicopter associated with it? Uh, I asked them, and they said yes, that they did hear it. Mm -hmm. And then we get back to the question of whether this is something that is government monitoring uh, of frequencies that might be associated with whatever the phenomenon is involved with mutilations, or is it something else altogether? Right. You know, I, I have no idea. The people are very concerned, uh, very, very concerned. There's been a lot of media coverage up there. I think they're getting tired of it, but... Um, <laughs> 
Uh, they're concerned. They're glad that we're there to help. Mm -hmm. They really appreciate it. Has anybody in the area ever, uh, in the last uh, month or two or three, uh, reported any unusual, strange moving lights or beams of light in that area? Uh, Eli's um, ranch hand. Uh, said that he saw something on the other side of the mountains on the Cimarron side that looked like an, an orange basketball in the sky. When was this? This was back in uh, May, when we went out in May. Okay. So uh, that gives you a kind of uh, overview of some of the activity that has been happening as recently as uh, this weekend in northern New Mexico. Uh, that orange uh, basketball uh, description was probably one of the most common reports in the 70s when there were so many uh, mutilations uh, throughout the United States and Canada and other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also um, especially interesting that now we've had two this week, one right after the other, uh, both males and uh, the July 24th uh, mutilation I talked with Dr. Outschuler about um, that was about uh, three weeks ago, and he said that he has been able to examine the tissue from that one, and again, he is finding what appears to be the suggestion of high heat. So we are going to try to keep at least uh, building up the case files uh, from a pathology and a veterinarian point of view on these animals that is at least separating them from normal disease and predators. Sure. Wow. What a story. Um, all right, um, Linda, as usual, um, I want to be sure to get your address out to everybody because I know a lot of people in the audience try to and want to communicate with you. Right, and I really uh, do uh, enjoy seeing these letters because they are giving me a kind of cross-section of what people who are listening to Dreamland around the United States are experiencing in their own lives, not only now, but some of the more interesting letters have been experiences by people going back to the 40s and 50s in which they have never, ever told anyone before. And in some cases, uh, those uh, stories are totally, uh, they appear to be uncontaminated by current literature. So my uh, address, it's Linda Howe, and it's Post Office Box 538, in Huntingdon Valley, Pennsylvania, spelled H-U-N-T-I-N-G, D is in dog, O-N, Valley, Pennsylvania, and the zip code is 19006. All right. All right. Well, I hope that if anybody has anything, they'll whip it right off to you. And uh, I've got a couple of things headed your way as well, Linda. All right. And I am trying to make sure that we're covering a lot of waterfronts. Uh, I had mentioned last week about Jupiter, and I do intend to do an update. In fact, there was uh, a meeting in Europe uh, this week uh, with one of the uh, scientists from MIT that I'll be interviewing. And I, I, I wanted to keep up with the current headlines now. And since they haven't finished uh, this uh, meeting, I think that by next Sunday we should have uh, an even better overview. And I'll still keep trying to update on what happens in northern New Mexico, crop circles, and uh, all these other subjects. Wonderful. All right, Linda Howe, thank you. Thank you. And talk to you next week. That's uh, Linda Howe. I want you to know received an M.A. from the University of Nottingham, England, and a Ph.D. in English from the University of North Texas. 
For over a decade, she taught college English and other professional work, including writing and editing. In 1988, she and her family were forcibly made aware, forcibly, of alien involvement in their lives. That came after a daytime sighting of a UFO by her husband, Casey, a computer specialist. With the help of Barbara Bartholik, I believe it is, an abduction researcher in Oklahoma, Dr. Turner, explored the past and current alien encounters that came to her, including her husband, son, future daughter-in-law, and several close friends. The story of the first year of this investigation is presented in her first book, Into the Fringe, published in 1992 by the Berkeley Publishing Group. Working first with Mrs. Bartholik, and then later independently, Dr. Turner began to research other abduction cases in her local area of north-central Texas. Since then, the cases have come from many other areas around the country. Her latest research findings are presented in Taken, Inside the Alien Human Abduction Agenda, published in April of 1994 by Kelt Works, and available exclusively from them by writing to Post Office Box 32, Roland, Arkansas, uh, 72135. In Taken, Dr. Turner presents eight detailed abduction accounts from women in Texas, Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, New York, and Puerto Rico, as well as an update on the events. She and her husband have both experienced. Some of the little-known events discussed include medical, sexual, psychological, and metaphysical procedures. In addition to these alien contacts, several of the women also tell of surveillance, intrusion, even abductions by U.S. military personnel. The correlations of these accounts and the insights gleaned from their experiences make a powerful case for UFO and abduction researchers to expand the recognized parameters of the abduction phenomenon. They further call into serious question most of the theories that have been offered in explanation of this activity. And so now, uh, to all the way to Arkansas, and to Dr. Carla Turner. Dr. Turner, um, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Art. Nice to be with you. Good to have you. Uh, hold on just one second. I'm going to put you over here instead. Okay, we've got you uh, over in another place. Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Turner, apparently all this began then with an experience you had. Well, actually, it began with an experience my husband had. Um, as far as our coming to having to deal with this, being aware of ongoing activities that once we begin to investigate, of course, like most people who've had these experiences, we learned that they went back to childhood. But being aware of what they were, that did begin uh, really with a sighting in December of 1987 of a, a spherical metallic object over the courthouse in the town where we lived that my husband had. Mm. And um, there was missing time when I went up on the hill to watch, try to figure out what this object was. Yeah. This week's time. Because it really wasn't part of the thing that we thought about or studied in any way. How much, uh, how much of a description did he have of the object beyond spherical? In other words, uh, how close was it? He was. He saw it while he was driving home from the grocery store, and he drove to our house and walked about half a block up a hill. From there, he had a vantage view of downtown, where the courthouse was, where this object was, and it was less than two miles away, much less probably. Wow. Um, the, the object was hanging above the courthouse, stationary. There was no movement, no sound. It was not glowing with light, but it was a burnished metallic color, coppery colored. It seemed to be a, a total sphere, complete sphere, 
and it was fairly large, uh, given that it was that close. If it was as close as it appeared to be, which was right over the center of town. And he watched it trying to figure out what the object might be, a weather balloon or even a movie prop. As I, I mentioned in the book, we lived in an area near Dallas where movies were often made on location. And it really, that was all he thought he was seeing, but he watched it for what he consciously perceived to be less than 10 minutes. And when he turned around to walk back down the hill because he'd given up on figuring it out, uh, a significant amount of time had apparently passed he hadn't been aware of, and it was almost dark whereas it had been quite daylight when he had gone up the hill. Wow. Uh, so then uh, how much time are we talking about? Um, probably 45 minutes or so. 45 minutes? Yeah, probably. Somewhere around there depends on what time. Um, we'd have to go back and look at you know, measuring the times. We're just guessing because sure. it was daylight when he went up there. It was almost dark when he turned around. And so then how did he digest all this? He didn't. He told me about it. I wasn't with him. He told me about it. He wasn't overly excited. He was curious because he had never seen anything like it, and he had no explanation. As I said, he didn't even think the word UFO. When he talked about it with me, that never was even mentioned. Uh, we assumed it was a movie prop and looked in the newspapers, treated it very ordinarily. But a couple of days later, he did have an unusual event. He found a scabbed over deep incision on the back of his leg, and he got extremely angry about it for no apparent reason. He didn't know how I got it. It had not been there uh, that he'd been aware of at least very long because he just found it when it was scabbing and beginning to itch. It's a scab will sure. do sometimes. Sure. Um, no injury had been inflicted on him that he was aware of, but he did get angry about the cut, and we did not connect the two events. Those are just, looking back, you begin to see connections. Mm -hmm. um, really, we forgot about it at that point, Aunt. Um, well, did he have any desire to... Um uh, when he began to figure this out or connect the two and connect the whole experience, did he then want to follow up, uh, maybe get hypnosis or try and dig into it and figure out what happened? Yes, but that was several months later. This was in December, right before Christmas of 1987. And as I said, when we didn't see anything in the paper about it, we forgot about it. A day or so later, he found the scar. He did not connect it with the event. And then we forgot all about it, totally. What happened was that we both began to develop intense stress symptoms, physical stress symptoms. And these led us, after they persisted and we couldn't understand why we were both having such physical symptoms, it led us to go into counseling to try to figure out what was wrong. Sure. And we each went to separate counselors uh, because we worked in different cities. And my counselor taught me to do uh, self-hypnosis to relax the physical symptoms I was having. His counselor didn't. They simply talked about whatever they could come up with, and after about three or four sessions, the counselor told him that, frankly, he couldn't find a specific problem for them to work on. He, he couldn't tell him what the cause of his stress was. And it was at that point that I offered to show him how to do hypnosis so he could relax the symptoms. He was having a number of physical symptoms, including numbness uh, in the leg where he had had the cut on the back of his leg all the way down that entire leg to the foot would have pain and numbness and tingling. He had vision problems, headaches, uh, stomach aches, back problems, uh, mm -hmm. just extraordinary number of stress symptoms. So you decided then you were going to uh, sort of teach him some process of self-hypnosis to try and relieve some of this? Strictly just what my therapist had taught me, and I had only been to him uh, twice. So this wasn't like I was any adept at it, nor did I explore anything further than just learning to relax the symptoms I was having. All right, Dr. Turner, hold on just a moment. We'll come right back to you. Uh, we're at the bottom of the hour. This is Dreamland on the CBC Radio Network. I'm Art Bell.
And it sounds like there's a lot more of this story and uh, her follow-up research to hear. Stay right there. on Dreamland with Art Bell. Call Art now, toll-free at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-TALK. First-time callers, area code 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Or the wildcard line at area code 702-727-1295. 727-1295. In the 702 area code. Now again, here's Art Bell. Now again, here I am. My guest is Dr. Carla Turner here from Rural, Arkansas. Um, she's published, uh, is the author of Into the Fringe and Taken Inside the Alien Human Abduction Agenda. And uh, we're talking to her about how all this began, which was an experience by her husband. Dr. Turner, you yes. still there? Good. Yes. Um, so there was your husband uh, trying to relax himself in the techniques you taught him that had been taught to you, and where do we go from there? Very simple. He uh, went into a fairly light trance quickly. He was uh, testing himself for the state of the trance, and the only question that he really needed to ask himself when he got there, uh, after he was relaxed, I thought it would, might be a good idea to do what the therapist had done with me, and that was to ask your subconscious to show you the cause of the stress. Sure. And he mentally asked that question of himself and immediately had a strong, startled physical reaction and had apparently opened up a memory that he had never had any conscious inkling about at all. And he told me in, in exclamatory tones he saw a face. He described this very unusual face. And then in amazement he told me he saw this gigantic ship. And I didn't, you know, in the sky, a spacecraft. And he said it was huge. He said the size of a small town. It was this enormous craft. Wow. And <clears throat> there were a series of very strange things, including uh, some non-human phone call that we received right when he said that the phone rang. And I got this extraordinarily uh, almost metallic or insectoid-sounding chattering on the other end of the line at me, and then it just went dead. And I brought him out of the trance. I didn't know what had happened. We this was just was more than we could handle. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it was. Uh, right. That's that's really odd. And I contacted my therapist the next morning and said, you know, my husband remembered something very strange when he put himself in a trance last night. Would you talk to him? And uh, I told him what he had remembered, and he just sort of scoffed at it and said, I don't know what it was, um, but I'm sure it wasn't flying saucers and little green men. There aren't any such things. And it was uh, a while. Apparent we couldn't find anybody. Actually, I contacted several people in the area for help and. When nobody would respond, he went back deliberately into another trance state to see what that was about. He was extremely curious to know what the context was for these memories that he had suddenly had burst through uh, a few nights before. And that's really how it all began. When he went back and looked, he recalled bits and pieces of what seemed to have been an abduction by non-human little creatures when he was only 11 months old on a trip in the car with his father. And he had never remembered this at all, uh, anything about this ever. 
and his parents came from several states away to visit the next month, and we did have a chance to ask them about the situation as he remembered it without telling them, you know, what he had remembered. Mm -hmm. And it was confirmed in a number of ways that, yes, a trip had been made under exactly those circumstances in that area at precisely that time. We, could, we pinpointed the day it happened because it was a memorable event because his father and he were almost two hours later returning from a very short errand that they were supposed to run for business than they should have been and had no explanation. All right, this was in 1987, and this kind of launched you into an investigation of the entire phenomenon. Exactly. It launched us into looking into what had gone on in his past. In the process of uh, the, in the investigation with Barbara Barthwick, I was also questioned about anomalous past events myself and turned up things I had consciously always remembered but had never accounted for in any particular way. And uh, we began looking into things in my past, and then we began having a series of current uh, encounters, intruders, whatever you would like to call it. Um, people vary on how they feel about it, but we certainly felt intruded upon. And this involved my husband and myself and my son who lived in a different place. He was a graduate student in college. Uh, his fiance and his roommate. And this was an ongoing series of intense events for well over a year before things finally calmed down. And, so, and so this was affecting your entire family? Uh, in other yes. words, they were having and you had had experiences? Yes, I had things that I had always remembered consciously, but I didn't know what they meant. And I think you'll find this story from any number of people who, once they wake up to a particular experience that seems to be a trigger. For instance, my husband did recall later under hypnosis what had happened in December of 1987 in the missing time period as he was watching this craft over the, over the center of town. He remembered an abduction occurring. He remembered a series of physical events taking place in a very rushed and hurried atmosphere. And he remembered at one point when this incision was made deep into his leg being told, now you will remember. It is time to remember. Dr. Turner, if this craft appeared over the center of town, that was the phrase you just used. That's exactly right, in the daytime. Then lots and lots of people should have seen it. Well, one of the things I know now that I certainly didn't know then, after devoting uh, several years of full-time effort to researching the entire subject, one of the things we know are that there are at least two kinds of sightings of craft. And there is one which seems more or less random and open, where many people uh, in an area will spot the craft from different points of vantage points, wherever they are in the area. Uh, people along the freeway pulling over and watching crafts. There were flat sightings like that reported intermittently throughout this history. But there are also targeted sightings that target the perceptive ability of only one person or a small group of people in a large area. And this is very common that even in some case reports we've looked into, there might be a group of people, say five or six, within a 20-foot radius of each other, and a craft appears that only three of those people are able to see. Oh, boy. Uh, so so then craft are able to do that, uh, you believe. They're able to be seen by those they want to be seen by and nobody else. I have no doubt about it. It's not a matter of belief. I, I think it's proven. Yes. Um, so you have... Pro proven, uh, proven by what means, Doctor? Uh, by, by report, as much as, I, as anything in this field is going to be proven, so maybe I should uh, modify the term or at least define how I'm using it. To my satisfaction, I have a very short list of things I consider facts in this phenomenon because they are extremely hard to pin down. Things change, perceptions uh, are distorted, and there's so much deception at the heart of the entire phenomenon, an illusion there, that pinning down any kind of fact is just almost impossible. But I think I, it's been confirmed to me, at least, 
uh, by a number of investigated events that there are targeted sightings in which people are targeted for the sighting and the people with them are not. In fact, I have witnessed a, a version of this uh, last December. My mother-in-law, my husband, and I were called by some other people in the county where we live now that they had had a sighting of a craft and it was moving, when it moved away from their area, it moved in our general direction. Mm -hmm. And we went out onto the road to an open spot on the top of the mountain ridge where we lived so we could see a great distance. And we watched the craft come in and traverse the horizon less than a mile from us. And we watched it all together, talking about it as we watched it. And when it was gone and we were recapping what we had seen, we each had seen it with different colors, doing different types of, of expressions of color and light. Oh, boy. Well, that makes collection of data a little more difficult, doesn't it? Well, that's one of the points I was trying to make and taken, that just about everything we took for granted has to be questioned in mm. this field. We can't really accept at face value what abductive perceptions honestly report because they are manipulated to such a great degree. How much of a, a mix of the UFO phenomenon do you think there is beginning to be uh, with the metaphysical, Doctor? Well, I think there's always been a great mix of it, don't you, if you look back even to the contactee cases? Well, I do interview after interview with people like yourself, uh, week in and week out, right. and I have noticed, Doctor, much more of a movement toward the metaphysical in an attempt to explain all of this. Yes, uh, I think there's a great deal of motivation toward that point of view, both in the UFO community, factions of uh, the research community promote this view very Heavily. It's very difficult, though, for a hard scientist to swallow it. Uh, but it, nevertheless, people like Dr. Mack, who was with us last week, uh -huh. are beginning to move in this direction. And um, uh, I, I wonder if there, in other words, as we continue to investigate this entire phenomenon and we want to approach it through the metaphysical, how do we do that? Well, um, I'll, in just a moment when we have a break, I'll pull out a little statement that I had put together trying to deal with how do we approach this phenomenon, what are our options, and I'll share that with you at our next, after our next break. Um, but one thing, we have, whatever one's approach may have been to this phenomenon in the past, there seems to have been such an acceleration of activity in all phases of it since the, I would say 1986 is just a starting point, although, you know, that's, that's very vague. Uh, there's been such an intense increase in activity. I think it has chipped and hammered away at everyone's preconceptions about this phenomenon. How, how long do you think we have been visited on this earth? Well, you have, I can give you a personal opinion. I can't give you a statement based on data. Uh, personally, I, I think it may well have been for centuries, if not more than that. Uh -huh. In fact, I jokingly or half-jokingly, talking with another person uh, who's involved in this field a couple of days ago, I said, you know, maybe abductees isn't the correct term really for what we're going through. I said, sometimes it does seem like perhaps everyone has had these experiences and always have. Maybe it's just that something is triggering the, gen the species to begin waking up to how to perceive that this is going on and the waking up process hits individually one at a time and maybe we're seeing a massive movement toward that. Alright, how are you to know or how can you be sure or assure us that uh, the experiences that you became aware of your, of your own uh -huh. and of your husband's we're not part of this great false memory syndrome that everybody's talking about. Well, it's limited to what one recalls under hypnosis to begin with, and then elaborates thereof, as I understand it. Would you agree with that? 
Well, uh, you, false memory? Uh-huh. Um, the, the basis of false memory syndrome, as far as I have seen it presented, is that in hypnotic regressions, ideas are implanted and elaborated that thereafter right. yes. are counted as real. Yes, that's correct. Well, the things in my life that we began looking into, I had always remembered since the time they happened very consciously. There was no hypnosis when I was, for instance, I remembered the first event before I was six years old. I remembered it when it happened. I remembered it the next morning. I remembered it thereafter. What event was that? Waking up in the middle of the night or coming to consciousness, I won't say waking up, but coming to awareness, conscious awareness, in the middle of the backyard, in the middle of the night, by myself, as far as my family was not there. And this creature that was very tall and very thin, and in my child way of thinking, I, I called it a giant grasshopper because it was very insectoid looking, had hold of my arm and was telling me it was my mother, and I was screaming back at it, no, you're not. Wow. I had remembered that since it happened. That was not something that came up out of a hypnosis session. I had never even delved into it with hypnosis. Did you tell your real mother about that? Of course. Of course. And they dismissed it, as I guess any parent would. Bad dream. As, as a bad dream. Mm -hmm. But I was very much aware of being awake and being in the backyard and this creature being beside me. Um, that, for instance, had always been in my consciousness. Another incident that had happened in the 1970s, driving uh, on a daytime trip <clears throat> on the interstate, uh, uh, in a strange, almost solid-looking black cloud-like object had swept horizontally from beside the interstate onto the road in front of me, stopped right over covering both lanes and hovered there, and I thought, you know, trying to make sense of it at 70 miles an hour, what an enormously dense black cloud of smoke, wonder where it came from, hope I don't hit anything when I drive through it. Sure. And remember bracing to go through this, and then the next thing I was aware of was seeing it in the rearview mirror behind me, still on the road, and never had any memory of going through it. Uh, so, that I've always remembered. These were not things that came up out of hypnosis. So then, your thinking is that everybody, or almost everybody... Uh, may have had these experiences? I would not rule it out, honestly. And although six years ago I would have absolutely denied that was a possibility, I can't deny it's a possibility now. I don't have any way of knowing. It may simply be that we are waking up to, to something that's been a condition of ours for eons. Something that's been going on for a long, long time. Right. We may be coming to new perceptive and just for, for metaphorical terms, a tricameralism of the psyche. We are a bicameral psyche right now in a, in a number of ways. We may be developing a new set of perceptive abilities that will take us to another stage of... of is, it, is, that, uh, is that some sort of uh, process of evolution, do you think? Certainly, either, either a leap, a mutation, a natural process. You know, when it happens through the generations, there's always one generation at least that's transitional. Mm -hmm. If not, you know, more. If not more. Uh, right. it, it, many believe that the process of evolution uh, uh, is so slow that uh, no single generation could notice a change. But you're suggesting we may be one of those... Those, uh, what's the right word? I'm, I'm becoming lost here, but we're, we're a transitional, that's the right. best way to put that it. That may be. There's other people who, there are other people whose ideas about evolution are that as long, it may well go along slowly for the most part, and then there are unexplained quirky little leaps where it is mm. fairly fast. For instance, the evolution of the Homo sapiens has some quirky little leaps in it that, that are not explained. All right. Well, you're on a fascinating tangent. Hold on just a moment, and we'll come back to you. Dr. Carla Turner is my 
guest. Do you think we're in some sort of a, a transitional, what, what a fascinating concept, uh, it's a new one, some sort of transitional change? Fascinating. Uh, never thought about it that way. We'll be right back. It's not. Uh, are you there? Yes, that's your name. Good. <laughs> All right. So perhaps we are some sort of tran transitional uh, generation, and we're all slowly becoming aware of this. That would also, by the way, be validated uh, by the interest in programs like this one. Um, and it is it is amazing how much interest there is. Yes, there is. It's, it, this is part of uh, a lot of people's awareness as they study mm -hmm. this in the last few years. You know, I think I had a real um, advantage not knowing anything about the entire field or history of ufology when we were thrust right into the middle of it. And being able, having been trained through my academic uh, work to assess and gather data, to analyze trends and historical perspective and context in, in, in different uh, areas of activity, I was able to take in rather quickly, through a great deal of work, the, the history, that at least that was in print, of all the different studies and, and approaches to this field in a fairly short amount of time. So I was able to get a, an overview. And one of the things that stood out was this acceleration of change after a certain point in the modern time. There seemed to have been sort of a status quo for centuries. Mm -hmm. If you look at the work of Jacques Vallée and others who, who've delved into the legends, the myths, the religious lore, uh, the historical records, in fact, from, from ages before ours, and see that there were these inter intermittent accounts that fall within the realm of the UFO phenomena, it was fairly static as far as the acceleration of activity until the modern age. And then we see uh, certain kinds of activity beginning and then beginning massively and then those becoming more and more complex leading up to the massive numbers of people who I believe are telling the honest truth about what they think has happened to them, reporting honestly on events as they've perceived them, and the numbers are staggering. What do you think all this is headed toward, uh, this increased awareness, even this uh, evolutionary change? What is it headed toward? Well, again, I'm having to speak from a fairly educated opinion, but certainly no one in this field can claim to have any hard and fast answers from which to work, uh, so we're all making guesses. But I think that if you look at studies that show species, uh, species societies or groups in intense stress situations, go through a metamorphosis, often physically they'll sicken and die. If they don't, they have physical, I mean, mental adaptation processes. They, they get pushed to react and respond in ways that haven't been, able, been forced to before simply because there was no need for it. And we may well be uh, going through what, what is normal as far as evolutionary processes are occurred and just gaining these perceptive abilities that are now allowing us to see interactions and activity of a certain dimensional nature we weren't able to perceive before. I guess what I was asking is, at some point, do you perceive that there may be a, a kind of a critical mass of awareness? I think that's theoretically possible, sure. I think it may be necessary if, if we're going to really encounter and confront and deal with this situation as we have it right now. Yes, I think most people, we, you get the feeling most people are asleep to the subject. But if there were, as I see growing in the past several years, numbers of people waking up in different ways, then you begin to think, yes, this could have a critical mass effect. Mm -hmm. uh, what would that, do you think, result in socially um, if somehow we all began to become aware that, oh, yes, 
not only have we been visited for hundreds of years, we're being visited now. It's occurring to many, if not most people. Um, what? And it's not a visit. Yeah. <laughs> it's something quite different. Well, okay, let me take off down that road. What is it? My best opinion is that it is some form, metaphorically speaking, of farming. <laughs> that we have a, a some source, we are a source for certain some things, qualities or physical materials or energetic energy patterns. I have no idea, although all of those are possible given the data of the abduction report. Hopefully, um, we, we are not... Uh... We are not as cows are to human uh, beings. Well, hopefully, but realistically speaking, that's not out of the realm of the data possibility. Uh. We that if our cows begin to develop, say, self-consciousness, <laughs> and they begin to perceive their situation more accurately, we would have a big problem on our hands. We would certainly have to change our methods of interacting with the cows. And when we see the changes sure. that have accelerated in the past few years, ten years, in this phenomenon, you begin to wonder what's made them change from hundreds of years of fairly static procedures. Would you think that uh, if that was the scenario, that if you'll excuse the expression, our creators intended for us to be self-aware or not? I think it may be one of those ironic accidents. And again, I'm theorizing. You're talking theory. I'm going to talk theory back. But I'm not going to talk any theory that goes greatly against the data as I know it. All right? Uh, well, that's fair enough. All right. All right. Uh, we are at the top of the hour, so hold your response, if you would, please. Okay. We'll be back to Dr. Carla Turner, who's coming to us from rural Arkansas. And uh, we'll talk more about abductions next. This is Dreamland. It's just not fitting. Um, the boxes are very limited. One thing we have to be committed to is, I think, researching the widest possible body of data instead of um, being very selective because of personal biases or personal preconceptions about what we're going to consider. But the problem is when you put it in the box, you don't have a good fit. Um, if, if what's going on here were known to someone, it would be worth the rest of the world's attention, certainly, to know what the answers might be. I don't have any. We were talking about theories a while ago. Uh, certainly, everybody's got a theory. Um, I would like to comment on something you did say earlier, though, about sure. perhaps these creatures might have been our creators. Yes. Um, I think probably if we wanted to examine... Uh, a variety of evidence types, including some of the more ancient records, we might find that they could be considered more correctly perhaps interloping farmers. Interloping farmers? Well, the way that we uh, as a species, the human species, has taken over wild animals yes. time and again and domesticated them yes. and genetically altered them for our benefit. Well, that's true. While we certainly did not create cows, no, we, we could be considered their farmers, couldn't we? Exactly. And we've genetically manipulated them through the centuries through selective breeding programs in the beginning and yes, then through more laboratory-type methods in the recent years. All right, um, we use cows for food. Right. Um, while you don't rule that out with regard to how the aliens may be using us, what is your best guess, uh, based on your research, as to what they're doing with us? Well, they're doing a variety of things with us, and this is what makes it hard, Art. Um, we know they're taking certain kinds of substances from us. 
Um, they take sperm. They take ova. They may well be taking fetuses if we can trust the perceptions of the people who've reported this. They take body fluids. They add body fluid, add fluids to our system. They take flesh samples, hair samples. Uh, they take energy. In fact, one of the more common things that I began to run into when I was uh, making connections with many other cases of abduction reports was a, a phenomenon that some people call being vacuumed, where you're in a totally normal physical energy state, and then as if a switch were thrown and a vacuum sucks all your energy out, you totally are without any energy. It's, it's more than exhaustion. When it's happened to me, I couldn't even move my lips to talk. And it, it took, a, you know... A, 15, 20 minutes of recovery time to regain energy. So they certainly are taking energy in some way. All right. I've, I've talked to a lot of people uh, who call up who think they have been abducted or tampered with in some way, and uh, they have awakened in the middle of uh, the night to a paralyzed state. Is that a common report? Sure. It's a common report. They either wake uh, paralyzed or become that way soon after perceiving entities or a light in the room. Yes. But if it were all just happening in the bedroom, I think we'd have a very different phenomenon. You know, of course, from the other calls you've gotten, that it happens to groups of people at the same time. It happens yes. in the middle of the day, um, on the highway, in town, um, at parties. So we're not dealing with something that's easily explainable as a night phenomenon, but that does seem to be a very, very common occurrence. Huh. Um and again, uh, your view is what that the, that that is there's a genetic reason perhaps for all of this experimentation. I think part of it may be given the kinds of reports we have that they are certainly doing something that's quite physical in both its aim and its procedures. That this is not a spiritual phenomenon primarily, as as some people would very much like it to be. Uh, the purpose of a spiritual phenomenon is not being served by a number of procedures uh, that are reported over and over again in the abduction scenario. These are very physical concerns, brain operations, uh, blood uh, alterations, um, implants, for instance, which would really have nothing to do with a spiritual phenomena. That's true. What is the... Um... Uh, what is the state of the research into these uh, implants? Do, I, I know that we have actually some physical samples of implants. Uh, what is the best available evidence, do you know? Oh, very little, to tell you the truth. The best available evidence I've heard recently uh, has re concerned reports of analysis into a number of potential or alleged implant objects, but so far nothing has turned up that is easily explained. Some are completely uh, terrestrial materials, but that still doesn't explain who made them or for what purpose. Others uh, appear to be just anomalous in the sense that they can say what it isn't, but they can't really say what it is, nor, in fact, that it's extraterrestrial in origin. All right. Is it necessarily extraterrestrial in origin? And I go back uh, to my visit last week with uh, Dr. Mack from Harvard. Um, he said that, look, a lot of these implants that have been analyzed have turned out to be very terrestrial uh, in terms of the, uh, the materials in them. Exactly. Um, Dr. Mack uh, is not... Uh, uh, blind to the possibility that these creatures, whatever they are, may come from either another time or another dimension, but in fact from this earth, on some plane, from this very earth. And if that would be true, it would explain uh, the materials being common to this earth. 
Uh, certainly, if they had been in, interacting with our species for a, a long, long time, they would know very well the materials on this on this plane or this earth. Sure, they would. They Wherever would. they come from, if they came from another planet, if they came from another dimension, if they came from a dimension uh, parallel to ours on this planet, those are all possibilities because we don't have any answers. And they certainly behave as if they dimensional hop. In a sense, they manipulate mm -hmm. dimension. They they manipulate time. There's no doubt about that. And their physical activities, as we've observed them, show they manipulate uh, spatially. All right. In your book, Taken, uh, you go into eight separate cases. Right. Apparently, all women. Yeah. This this time around, I focused on eight different women's cases. I thought it gave uh, one of the points of doing this project uh, was to give a an adequate sampling of in-depth reports so that correlations and comparisons could be made. And I thought it was one more factor that was uh, part of the correlation process that these cases all happened to be women. The book I'm working on now that should be available um, by December concerns one man's case. So I don't okay. just work with women. I'm right. going to leave that impression. All right. Um, and by the way, there are um, very few uh, by number women who are UFO investigators or investigators in your field. Most of the people investigating in this field seem to be men. Have you noticed that? Of course, yes. <laughs> and it's not been easy to be one of the few women in this field. I'll have to say that, although uh, some people have made, it, uh, made very good efforts toward me. But still, I think uh, not only do I have that strike perhaps against me considering the numbers of, of women who aren't in this field, but also, I have a strike in some people's eyes against me because I have had personal experiences uh, that, mm. that in some people's thinking is a contamination that means I shouldn't research. And I guess I could see the point of view, but I think, on the other hand, it, it gives me additional advantage in researching. Well, if you really had the experience, and I went 48 years of my life, Dr. Turner, without seeing a UFO and then finally saw one uh -huh. uh, almost a year ago, uh, it it compels you, and so I can easily understand why you would dive into this research. It's not easy. What have your colleagues said? Um, academic colleagues? Yeah, that's right. Um, very little. Um, in, in confidence, several have talked about personal sighting experiences, but never publicly. Mm. Um, I left the area where I was teaching in 1991 was the last semester I taught in the spring, and I moved to another state, so I really haven't been in contact with them since then. What they may think about it now, I can't tell you. Um, however, they have they are among the rest of the population in this abduction um, statistic field that there are people at the university level who have experiences just like there are, in one case, probably the most extreme as far as deprivation I know, a case in the uh, Ozark Mountains of a family so remote um, and so without access to what we would think of as contaminating material, they had no electricity, no television, no uh, no any co really contact, uh, very menial labor, and the woman mm -hmm. was totally illiterate and couldn't read. And yet her experiences parallel those of the college professors and the doctors and the artists and the housewives who, who also had this. You said there were a number of things, or at least a few things, that you could nail down as certain about this entire phenomenon? Well, there's certain things that I have now, to my satisfaction, I accept as fact rather than as theory. What are those? Well, so some of them include, for instance, the fact that we don't know, there is no evidence. It, it is a fact we do not know where these creatures come from or what, in fact, their true nature is. I, in, in other words, I have not found any of the theories to explain their origin or their nature to be 
overwhelmingly proven by the data. Let me try approaching it, though, from the other angle. Are you convinced, convinced, doctor, through your research, that this is uh, a hidden hand, that there, is, that there are aliens, no matter where they may come from, of who course. are here? Yes, I have personally experienced it. It's a matter of knowledge and experience with me, not even a conjecture. Not even a question? No, no question. Um, what they are, I cannot tell you, and I don't think anyone else can either, but they're not us. And as to their purpose, all you're sure of is you don't know. Well, I, I, on my list of facts, number two on the list is that at least some of these creatures are consummate liars and deceivers. This is a fact. There is no doubt. And uh, the evidence goes back to the beginning of the contactee um, <clears throat> scenario all the way through reports I've gotten in the last week from cases that are ongoing now. All right. Give me a good example. What makes you believe they are consummate liars? Well, they have made over the years to particular individuals a number of very specific predictions or warnings or scenarios that have never come to pass. Uh, sometimes small events that they predict in the beginning of a list of warnings or predictions will occur, which makes the person who's received this list of predictions very uh, think, take the list at a very credible level and prepare for these other things to happen, and then they do not happen. Now, this, this goes back to the fifth, early 50s as far as reports of interactions and communications from these creatures. They also have given a number of um, contradictory explanations to various abductees for the same procedures or the same uh, part of the agenda. Uh, for instance, um, and as I talk about this in Taken, um, one woman was shown at one point during some of her encounters a cloned copy of her body. It was wow. inert. And well, this happens in a number of cases. Many people have reported seeing inert human bodies, uh, sometimes copies of themselves, sometimes not, just other bodies. And one case, uh, Pat was told that these bodies were for the resurrection. Now, throughout Pat's experiences, a religious uh, symbology was employed with her because it was, uh, she had a very strong uh, basic faith. Um, is it, by the way, is it your view that those who start out with a very strong religious faith uh, attribute their experience to some sort of religious occurrence? I think they may tend to, and I think that tendency is greatly amplified by the programming of the aliens themselves. They'll take on whatever guy's work or follow whatever procedure really gets, accomplishes their, their program. Let me take it from their point of view for a second. Why, um, why do you think that these beings are not connect, connected to what we think of as traditional religion in some way. A lot of religious people will say, well, these are devils, or they're angels, or they're spirits, um, and uh, this is not an area we should be even looking into. <clears throat> well, my personal answer would be that they do not behave in the reports we have from abduction accounts anything like, or very seldom anything like, any of the reports of spirits and angels in our religious literature that these people base, uh, use as the basis of their beliefs, for one thing. Uh, as I've said before, I have never yet found anywhere in the Bible where one of the angels' duties was a rectal probe on a six-year-old child. Yeah, good point. Good point. All right, now that's a starting place for questioning that. Uh, secondly, the entire range of their procedures with us make that very suspect. The, the physical activities are numerous, and nothing like this seems related to a spiritual agenda, if that's what they were pursuing. I will agree that they indoctrinate and program us 
uh, throughout these encounters, if that's going to be effective with us, to take it on a spiritual level. For instance, with Pat, when they first uh, abducted her entire family back in 1954, the creatures told her that she said, are you angels? And they said, yes, but not as you have been taught. Oh, boy. Yeah, but that works with Pat. In another case, with Lisa, she was also shown a carbon, a clone of her body. And she was not told anything about a spiritual use for this when the resurrection, when Jesus returns and we get our new bodies. No, she was told instead uh, that this body, well, it was used in a sense to threaten or warn her that if she were not cooperative with the ongoing program of whatever it is they're doing with her, mm -hmm. that she could be replaced by this body and no one would ever know the difference. Uh, those are not consistent answers. I wonder how many of us have been replaced. Well, in the next book that I'm uh, getting ready to publish called Masquerade of Angels, we're going to delve into exactly that question because the... Uh, oh, that is the title of your book, uh, the working title, Masquerade of Angels? It is the title. It is, yes. Oh, what an intriguing title. What, what made you pick that? Well, I hope you'll get a chance to read this story and you'll probably see for yourself. Um, it deals with one man's experiences, a psychic, practicing psychic, um, for 20 year, more than 20 years, a man named Ted Rice, uh, who began his work in Atlanta and is now in Louisiana, has lived uh -huh. a number of places, and grew up in, intellectually and spiritually grew up into the spiritualist, metaphysical, uh, what would be the precursor of the New Age movement very early on, very intensely, very actively. I uh, dealt with what he thought were spirit guides for a number of years until he had a massive, uh, very intense abduction experience by obviously not spirit creatures aboard a spacecraft along with a number of the neighbors down the street where he lived. So he did a quick reassessment. He did begin to look for some explanations. Nothing his spirit guides had ever given him had anything to do with this, had ever prepared him or discussed it, uh, whatever. So we began a, uh, this has gone on for several years now, the investigation into his uh, lifelong series of events is probably more in-depth than any one investigation I've been involved in, and we've got a number of uh, signed affidavits attesting to the veracity of the mm -hmm. accounts. We've done hypnosis with a number of people after their conscious recollections have been recorded. Um, the verification of these series of events is extraordinary, and among those, we have to deal with the question of cloning and replacement, and in fact, the nature of the human soul, and what we may not have understood about it all along. The nature of the human soul. Exactly. Because one of the things I will not discount, one of the things that's on my list of facts is that the, these creatures show a very, for me, very disturbing interest in the human soul. That's very interesting, Doctor. Um, I did a series of interviews with a friend of mine whose name is John Lear. Do you know that name? Yes, I've heard Mr. Lear speak on a number of, a couple of occasions back in the 80s. Uh-huh. Uh, Mr. Lear, in latter interviews, and I'm going to do another one, I hope, with him soon, referred to the human body as uh, a vessel for the soul. Uh, that the uh, the aliens regard our bodies as a vessel for the soul. Have you heard him say that? I've not heard him say that, but I've heard a number of abductees who have reported being told that and having that lesson stressed to them by the aliens, and I think there is a reason for that. Certainly, um, that one of the things not only in much of the alien contactee and channel material, but also in the New Age movement in All right. general. Doctor, I've got to hold you there. We're oh. at the bottom of the hour. Stand by. We'll be right back. This is Dreamland.
Kingdom of Nye. You're hearing Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Much more than just a talk show. Dreamland. Actually. To participate in the program, call toll-free 1-800-618-8255. That's 1-800-618-8255. This is the CBC Radio Network. Well, it is that. Uh, this is the Dreamland program. All the numbers you just heard, though, are uh, just fine. My guest is Dr. Carla Turner. And she's written uh, two books, working hard on a third now. The first two, one called Into the Fringe, and the other, Taken, Inside the Alien Human Abduction Agenda. And uh, frankly, that's what we've been talking a little bit about, is their agenda. And we're going to do more of it in just a moment. I'm Art Bell. Stay right where you are. It's not that often that I get a chance to tell you all about a product that is effectively begin taking phone calls I promise so if you want to get on the lines um, Dr. Turner is going to be available to you in just a moment Dr. Turner <clears throat> yes sir um, I want to finish up on the souls yes I'd like to go back to what we were discussing about before the break if I could for just a minute yes uh, you were talking about John Lear ta uh, saying that uh, the bodies are containers or vessels for the soul that's right as very different things going back to what we were talking about even earlier is the these interloping farmers had begun genetic manipulations with the species that they found here to bring it up to a more useful level for them. One of the things that they might have tried to do or might have done was to increase the level of intelligence in the species so that it could, in fact, pretty much tend its own farm. If you get my understanding. I'm afraid I do. <laughs> All right. And then this being what they proposed to do, the, the purpose of this, it inevitably having its own uh, re reactions thereafter in the species, what might have led up to the transition that we're maybe making to a new level of intelligence, mm -hmm. an additional perceptive intelligence. And if that were the case and you knew that your cows were waking up, in this manner, wouldn't it be one of the things you would want them to very much believe, something you would want to instill in them very deeply to de-emphasize the value of their physical nature and physical existence? Yes. Wouldn't you, if this is a product you are using in some way, wouldn't yes. you want it to not have placing, uh, be placing a great emphasis on its physical nature? And one of the things that they very often do tell abductees and contactees uh, is that it, the, the body is of no importance, it is just a container, don't worry about it, uh, you know, free yourself from it. Mm. They downplay our physical existence very greatly in, in part of their programming. And I think I can see a reason why they might be doing that. If they regarded us as we might regard cows who are slowly awakening, yes. Right. Ooh, right. Uh, it's very, it's very unsettling, disturbing thought, uh, though, for an awful lot of people. Me, I know me. it is. It's for yeah. me too. But, but when you start looking at the the straight data, the real reports, not being censored and not being uh, doctored in any way, you have to consider how do we account for all of this stuff. And we see over and over that they take from us, that they manipulate. Uh, our understanding and screen our understanding of what they're doing with us and they're doing a great deal of physical work with us mm -hmm. which seems to be also is transgenerational uh, we've seen that that an ongoing genetic sort of program perhaps and if we were waking up to the fact of our being used our being a resource 
certainly they would not want us to be overly attached to our physical existence if they're using it. No, I do agree. All right, let's, uh, I, I've got to do this. Uh, let's go to the audience and begin to take a few calls. Uh, you've given me a lot to digest. On our toll-free line, you're on the air with Dr. Carla Turner. Hi. Hi, Art. Where, where are you, sir? I am in Seattle. Seattle, all right. Um, great show tonight. Thank great you. Great show. I really enjoy listening to the doctor. Um, now, you were saying that they, there's been reports of, like, bodily fluids being taken. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Now, what if, say I was abducted 20 years ago, um, what are the odds of me receiving a phone call from Mars, Collect, and uh, somebody wanting child support? I mean, what, you know, if I have a son that's 20 years old on some other planet, what are the odds that I might meet him? Well, I think that's uh, a humorous way to look at it, but I don't think you have to worry about it. If you were going to meet him, they'd probably make sure it took place. I would like to say, however, that I am not at all convinced they are actually hybridizing and breeding uh, the way that they have very strongly led us to believe. I think there may well be something else going on, and that is a cover story in, in effect. Great. So I wouldn't worry about any little babies out there we, <laughs> as far as having living, breathing, individual, soul-like existence as we understand it now. Certainly they do take our reproductive material and they're doing something with it. Uh, the evidence does indicate in some ways that they may well be using all that material to grow their little gray worker machine. Wow. Uh, instead of making hybrid children is the point of their work. It may be uh, a resource for their for their slave system, their machine system, their industrial equivalent, whatever you'd like to call it. All right, thank you. Uh, so, Dr. The Grays, as we call them, uh, you may regard as sort of worker bees? Well, I certainly have, in my physical encounters with them, had a very strong and deep and clear impression that they, they were not soul-bearing creatures. Um, people have reported over and over again that they don't seem alive, there's no emotion, there's no soul energy. Uh, and a number of these worker sorts that come in and do sort of routine uh, procedures. Yes. And they are remarkably fetal, they're remarkably humanoid. Um, they may be a genetically manipulated version of the fetus grown and developed in certain ways as a dedicated program machine. Do you think, Doctor, this is way out in the speculative area, but do you think that we were supposed to become aware, or do you think that this growing awareness that we appear to have is um, an unexpected byproduct? I think that it's likely it could be an unexpected byproduct. It may well be something that we would naturally have evolved to on our own without genetic uh, intrusions at a much later time. It may be that there are other forces than human and alien who are also em employed in the universe who may be uh, helping in some way to wake us up. All right. It's, there's a lot of possibility. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Dr. Turner. Uh, good evening. Good evening, Art. This is Jim in St. Louis. Hi, Jim. Dr. Turner, thanks for doing the show. Yeah, you're Art, very welcome. Art, yes. first of all, I had a question for you. Um, I just was curious. I listened to the uh, last couple of shows you've done last couple of weeks, and you always seem to hint at a, uh, you always seem to ask your guests uh, about the creators. What is your personal theory as to the, the creator bit? And uh, as for your guest, yes. uh, Dr. Turner. Yes. Um, 
what exactly are we talking about as far as um, the numbers go for this kind of uh, this phenomenon? Um, uh, and is it happening worldwide? I mean, outside of the country? Yes. And is there uh, research being done um, in other countries? And um, also, I had a couple of theories that I wanted to run by you. The the implant thing, um, being of organic materials that aren't otherworldly, wouldn't that isn't the best? I mean, I buy into the theory that that's just simply so that they're not detected. I think that it works that way very often. Yes. Okay, and secondly. Um, I was uh, I was reading uh, Dr. Jacobs' book uh, Secret Life, and I was trying to figure out if I was uh, being abducted repeatedly, and I uh, had to put a stop to it. I mean, uh, I was trying to think of ways that I would try to prevent this abduction um, experience from reoccurring. Right, I can and as I know that um, they don't seem to like, I mean, these beings, they don't seem to care for video uh, video cameras being around. They want to remain secret. Could you? Um, like perhaps handcuff yourself to your bed or something like that. We've had a number of people try, I mean, people try a number of different ways to protect themselves at night. And, of course, you've heard the story of the person who did use a video camera set up toward the bed. And when on nights nothing happened, it showed absolutely no activity. And then uh, one night, looking at the tape from that night, uh, what it showed was the person getting up out of bed, going over to the wall and unplugging the video machine. Mm-hmm. You know, what uh, about getting the help of a third person, literally handcuffing yourself to the bed? I have one one person right now has become has reached that point where they have tried uh, tying themselves to their uh, husband, to her husband, <laughs> or to the bed, and it doesn't seem to make any difference. Um, all right, he asked a couple of other questions about the numbers and whether it's a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, well, Dave Jacobs, I know, probably reported, if you've heard him on interviews or at uh, presentations he's given on the Roper poll a couple of years ago, Sorry. that, um, based on their statistics, estimated that perhaps one in 40 Americans <clears throat> had reported details that would match up with this scenario. Um, Jacobs has said in public and in private both that those numbers were actually much higher than that on the original poll statistics mm-hmm. and that, frankly, they watered them down because they didn't think people would believe them. So we're talking about higher potential numbers than 1 in 40, uh, perhaps 1 in 20 or 1 in 10. We don't really know because, as we find out, when people do wake up and become aware of it, it's been going on throughout their lives without them being aware. How many other people are not aware yet? There are a lot of people not aware, Doctor, and I, and one uh, phenomenon I've noticed from doing this kind of program is uh, of many of those who are not aware, when they're confronted with the kind of information you've been giving tonight, they respond with outright anger. Oh, yeah. I mean, they flat get angry. Absolutely, and uh, that's a fear reaction. That Anyone who has a very, very strong reaction, either obsessively or in angry and uh, denying terms, one wonders what motivation, because that is not a typical, normal, unaffected reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can understand it. I don't want this to be true either, and I certainly have not been, I don't know that I would have ever chosen to be aware of it, to tell you the truth. All right. Uh, on our toll-free line, you're on the air with Dr. Turner. Good evening. Hello. How are you? Fine. I'm uh, Kimian calling from Portland, KEX. Yes, ma'am. Hello. I just want to make a few calls. Great show tonight, or a few comments. Uh, I feel that there are answers to these questions. Each weekend on Dreamland, we keep hearing, we don't have the answers. We don't have the answers. I had an experience in 1986. 
so similar to Dr. Turner's. I, too, in Las Vegas, saw a craft in the middle of a busy intersection with my husband at that time, and no one else saw it. And I've often wondered if that's a phenomenon that other people have experienced. My life changed after that. I did much, much research, and a lot of my research has led me to books and that involve people channeling information from beings right. through, telepathy, through telepathy, the same way that these abductors communicate through the abductees. I know a lot of people are, you know, skeptical when we mention channeling. I'm one of them. Yes, oh, I'm another one because there's no possible way to verify anything that they give us, much less the source of the channeled material. And what? I, I'm just a very skeptical person, by, I hope, by nature and by training both. Uh, if there is no way to confirm something, then it is certainly not, I'm not a, uh, an idea or a piece of information upon which I'm going to base any serious response. I understand. So many of us want to find this information uh, through the regular concrete way that we've done everything and I, I really liked last week's show because we're, I think we're really beginning to get it out there that we may have to go through different avenues. We mm. may have to look through ways we're not used to. We I may not we have things that are concrete. Right. I think we are being pushed to that. Absolutely. Of course this we is just are. what we were talking about with the, uh, perhaps the transition to a species with more perceptive abilities. Because yes. we have to learn to see what is happening to us, to perceive its reality before we can ever respond and decide what response is correct. Right. It may well be that our response will be defensive. It may well be it's a, a spot response of accommodation. We cannot, but we cannot tell from channel material that is unverifiable which way we should be preparing. Let me um, ask this. Um, many, many abductions have occurred, and I do believe that they are occurring, and I do believe there's a reason for this new awareness and this sudden um, awareness of these abductions. And they always say that the way that the abductors communicate is through telepathy. Uh -huh. right. So if, in fact, this is occurring, uh, so many people, Art has never had an abduction memory. I haven't, don't have an abduction memory, and yet I believe it's true. I believe it when someone says, I was there, I heard them communicate with me through telepathy. Well, I have very, very close friends and myself. I have telepathic abilities, but I can't prove it. Just like the people who are on board can't prove they've been abducted. We have to start taking another viewpoint. All right, I, I, I do agree, but uh, Dr. Turner, I, I've got to admit, I'm one of the ones not very comfortable with um, the way you're laying it out. I, I don't know why. It's just it kind of puts me on the edge. I oh, guess, I'm sorry. I, guess it, I wish I could give you a beautiful picture. I just don't have one. Oh, no, on I'm, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that my reaction to it, and I deal with this material all the time, my reaction is kind of an uncomfortable one. In what sense? Are um, I guess in, their, in, in the way you're describing what you think their intentions toward us may be. Right. You're uncomfortable in that it doesn't fit what you know, or it's uncomfortable because it would imply something you wouldn't like. I don't understand. That's what I was asking. Yeah, I guess it would imply something that I wouldn't like, that, I, that I'm just not comfortable with, that uh, we are to them perhaps as cows are to us. 
I'm not comfortable with it either, but reality is going to be what it is, whether we're comfortable or not. That's, That's what true. we're trying to figure out. You're, and then right. getting past the point of being uncomfortable or afraid or angry and all the other emotions that abductees go through, and people who come to understand this is true, whether they've had it happen to them or not, that they're aware of, uh, you've got to get past that to the next stage. That's stage one. Stage two is now what do we do? Okay. Uh, all right. I like that. What do we do? I don't know. We haven't all looked up enough yet to perceive it correctly. We are perceiving bits and pieces still, and we are so highly manipulated by these beings that the nature of it is deceptive and elusive, uh, illusionary. And until we can see past that and learn techniques for penetrating that, we're not going to know how to respond. Mm -hmm. All right. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air with Dr. Turner. Good evening. Yeah, this is Jamie in Northeast Oregon listening to OK Gold. Yes. And my question tonight, well, basically, uh, two things. The first one is uh, in the evolutionary topic earlier that, tonight. Do you think that, that possibly, rather than evolutionary, that the awareness is due to uh, the awareness of, of this uh, phenomenon is due to our technology now being so much more advanced than it has been in history, you know, adding acceptance to the idea that we're not alone? All right. Uh, I wouldn't think it would be our technology. No. What do you think, Dr. No, I, I certainly don't. I think, for instance, what I see is an individual responses to the phenomenon. I see people waking up to um, some of the illusions while they're still in the uh, experience. They're not doing it through technology. This is a one-at-a-time thing that I'm seeing mm. happen, and yet it has an effect, a ripple effect, through society's thinking and perceptions and, and acceptances. I don't think it's because our technology has perceived new things, but it has shown us at least that we're able, through other ways than the primitive five senses we know, to make perceptions. Now, if we suddenly develop, a new, the, the, for instance, the visual ability to see the ultraviolet and the infrared, infrared spectrum mm -hmm. with our own eyes, yeah. you know, that would be a change. That would be a transitional, a new phase or a new, a new level of our perceptive ability. That's what I'm talking about. All right. All right. Uh, back to the phone. So a lot of people want to talk to you on the uh, wild card line. You're on the air with Dr. Turner. Where are you calling from, please? Redding, California. Okay. Dr. Turner, yes, I have had an experience of, of like when your husband said that um, he was driving in the car and with his parents or something. With his father. Huh? Yeah, and I, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but I've had a really similar experience right down to the scar on the back of my leg. Mm. And um, I was wondering, uh, aside from insatiable curiosity, is <laughs> there more um, like altruistic reason you can give me for pursuing something like this and what I should do? <clears throat> Reasons for pursuing the investigation of your own possible experiences? Yeah. Oh, uh, right now, to be brutally honest, I don't really recommend anyone pursue them. Really? Oh, God. No, I don't. If they're giving you problems, if you're having emotional problems or relationship problems or physical stress symptoms because of repressed memories trying to surface, that's another thing. You may not have much of a choice except to go ahead and dive into it. But if it's just curiosity and at this stage knowing right now that two things. One, we don't know what to do about it at this stage. So it's not like I can say, yes, once you find out, then you can go do this and change the situation. You can't do that. At this stage, we can't do that. The second thing is that if we are truly going through this transitional process and maybe coming to awarenesses, it will evolve in its own inevitability with you. And it won't be a choice of trying to find out. It will be an awareness of 
because you're taking in new perceptive information. Yeah. Well, but if you're not being pushed, if you're not being stressed, I don't see what purpose will serve by doing this. You well, will change your life so dramatically with this knowledge. If you I sleep a lot better. Right. And you can never you can never forget it once you have uncovered it. So if you're not prepared for a real alteration in, in your life, um, I don't see why you would want to pursue it. All right. Thank you. Uh, so in, in your view, uh, unless there are psychological reasons... Uh, it could be more damaging to pursue it than to just leave it alone. I won't say damaging, but I think frustrating as far as being, she said, now if I delve into it, give me reasons why I should know what I can do. You we know. don't know what we can do yet. I, that's why it would be very frustrating. Well, I'm remembering Close Encounters of the Third Kind when it began to make mounds of potatoes and right. became obsessed Right. With it. Uh, then you it, really don't have a choice. That's what I was telling her. If it, be, if it reaches a point where something internal pushes her hard enough, she will make a breakthrough in some way, whether it's spontaneously or by, by feeling compelled to seek out uh, um, an investigator or a hypnotist or whatever to try to get more information. Yeah, then that will happen because she has to do it. All right, Dr. Turner, stand by. We'll come back to you. Break time. You're listening to Dreamland, kind of a disturbing one, on the CBC Radio Network. Dr. Turner, hi. Hi. All right, um, a lot of people want to talk to you, Dr. Turner, so I guess we'd better stay with the telephones. That's fine. Uh, to them we go, and the toll-free line, you're on the air with Dr. Carla Turner. Yes, this is Dee from um, Seattle. Hi, Dee. I was wanted to make a comment in regards to some experiences that I have had, and I have only remembered them as dreams. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that they fit in too well with some other categories. Right. Um, as far as the little gray men, I do agree with you that they are slaves um, in my experiences that I have had with them. But the people that rule over them are almost uh, military. Yeah, um, there seems to be a lot of uh, getting, getting down to business with their procedures. Right, certainly. and from my experiences, it has almost been the perception that I hold some kind of rank there, and I am, um, I guess, have a higher status than others hmm. in there. Um, well, I will tell you that there have been a number of uh, abductees who have been told at some point in their experiences are made to believe that they too are working in some conjunction with the uh, the aliens and are special and have a higher rank so that is not the first I've heard of that and I was wondering if anyone has had any experience of being shown a laser weapons system that um, they have been giving the chemical formula for the gas I would have to see more specifically what you're talking about before I would know if there were any real correlations with it, but people are told uh, about uh, technology, are told about certain kinds of physics, uh, mathematics are discussed, uh, devices are described and explained. This, too, is part of the program. In fact, one of the most extraordinary things I think I uh, remember hearing, not in a case I investigated, but that someone else had, involving three women abducted in the New Mexico area, uh, taken to what they all three recalled as an underground facility of some sort where both non-human and human personnel were employed and one of them saying that she put on a certain type of outfit and went to uh, a machine, I guess an equivalent of a computer console type setup said she punched in her code and then began working. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, one of the other women, however, went through the typical uh, on-the-table examination. Hmm. So it's, you know, we don't know oh, what perhaps the is. examination would possibly lead to an employment of some type. Well, that it was just an extraordinarily strange situation. If three were inducted, two were examined, and one went to work. All right. Thank you, ma'am. Um, Dr. Turner, stay good and close to your telephone for us. All right. All right. Um, again, on the wild card line, you're on the air with Dr. Carla Turner. Good evening. Hello there. Hello. Hi, I'm calling from Northern California Art. Yes, sir. Oh, this is Sparky. Uh, your guest there has lots of right-on ideas and researching. Uh, but Dr. Turner, it is? Yes, sir. Oh, uh, yeah. It's probably been found out with all your uh, research that Earth has a history of being sort of spiritually retarded. Um, I can't say that that's been the finding of my research, no. Well, with with what I hear that, well, you're kind of getting the idea. I haven't been able to listen to the radio, so I'm not really, it don't really come in too good. Okay, so I'm lost that we're... All right. Well, perhaps I mis misrepresented it. Um, for our capabilities, for our natural capabilities, I think we are a fairly spiritual species. Uh, and again, uh, circling back, we were not necessarily, in your view, meant to begin this awakening, to, to in other words, realize what's going on to us, uh, with us. That may be uh, right. a sort of a byproduct. Right. It could be an, uh, an unhappy result of something unforeseen from the manipulations they have been doing with us in, you know, all along. Mm -hmm. Um, or again, it may simply be part of a natural process. Whatever stage we're at after their manipulations, we still continue to change. Okay. On the first time caller line, you're on the air with Dr. Turner. Hi. Hi, this is Debbie from St. Louis. Hi, Debbie. Um, I had a question about uh, if we are inter if they are interloping farmers. Mm-hmm. Then, how do you explain the purpose for aliens showing women their hybrid babies and telling them to hold the child? Right. Um, there's a po number of possibilities that could explain it. One female uh, who had gone through this process was very clear when it was over about her assessment of why they were doing it. She felt it had very little at all to do with the actual well-being of the child, that it was more of an experiment or test-type situation to elicit certain emotional responses from her for whatever purpose that they needed them or wanted to study them. Um, she felt that it had very little to do with the baby. The responses of people to these so-called hybrid infants that they're shown and told belong to them in some way ranges from instant love and bonding to repulsion to bewilderment to rejection. Um, there's not an overwhelming sense across the board that these are really their children. There's that scenario being presented for them, but whether it's an accurate one or not, we don't know. So there's no, there's no sense of what they're trying to achieve uh, with that kind of union. Well, I can see a number of reasons they might want to, but again, we're theorizing to bond us in a certain uh, subordinate position to uh, convince us on some level that this is a benevolent interference. Um, to elicit more re uh, cooperation from us. If you're bonded by sharing offspring, that's a pretty close bond. It sure is. Uh, you're not always in equal relationships in that bond, however. Um, certainly there would be you know, reasons for that kind of approach in the, in the setup from their point of view. All right. On the uh, wild card line, you're on the air with Dr. Turner. Good evening. Good evening. This is Jody, KOH Reno. Hi, Jody. Hi, Dr. 
why is it um, the last caller hit on it a little? Why is it that it's only the people reporting about the hybrids that you seem to doubt? And also, I'd like to know who is it that you think the Bible is referring to when it speaks of demons and angels. Thank you. All right. Uh, great questions. I appreciate it. First off, I'm, I don't mean to imply that I doubt that part of the uh, abductee story. I do not. I know for us, as you know, very deeply that these people are telling the honest truth, and um, it's a matter of whether what they saw and thought they experienced is the actuality or if it is something else. One of the things I talk about in Taken and we'll be discussing in more detail in A Masquerade of Angels is a capability these creatures have called virtual, what I call virtual reality. I borrow the term, I admit that, where scenarios are created for a particularly a particular targeted person that feel to all the senses as if it is actually occurring when in fact it is not. And we've had a couple of cases where it has been witnessed by people outside this targeted person's sphere of, of activity who have watched. In fact, I talk about this in the first chapter of Taken. Two people unaffected watching a third person going through an experience that to her was absolutely real and she was awake while it was happening and they were in the room with her. But what she was convinced happened was not perceivable to the people unaffected by the energy field that had coalesced around her. All right, demons and angels. Demons and angels. Um, I don't know what demons and angels meant to the people who wrote about them originally. I'm not in their mindset or in their frame of reference to know what they specifically meant by it themselves. I just know we give it a lot of different interpretations now. Um, these creatures have kept capabilities that seem supernatural to us. But they would not perhaps seem that way if we had equivalent technology or if we had equivalent perceptive capabilities. I don't know if that's why we, we've always put these creatures perhaps on a supernatural plane. Well, she said, what do you think the Bible was talking about when it mentions uh, demons and angels? I, it could have been talking about creatures like this in some instances. In some cases, I don't really know. I think that makes sense, given some other things that are recorded not only in the Bible, but in other world uh, religious documents. All right. On the toll-free line, you're on the air. Um, uh, good evening. Good evening. This is Fritz from Phoenix calling. Hi, Fritz. Dr. Turner, yes. when will the medical profession that does abduct the research, like yourself and many, many other doctors out there, psychiatrists, realize that the abduction scenario must be turned around in a positive direction. You can't stop it. You know it's going to continue. Get the fear out of the program. Continue I, I agree with you entirely. There are two things going on in the abduction field right now as far as I can tell. And one is abductee therapy, which is the major uh, activity going on in the field, which is exactly what you say, helping people who need the help learn better how to cope with a scenario that they cannot change. That's therapy. I agree. I don't do therapy. I'm doing research. That's a totally different thing with a different goal and, and a different approach. But certainly, yes, you have to learn to cope. However, I would point this out also. It is the minority, as far as I can tell, of abductees who actually need medically trained mental health professionals to assist them in coping. Most of us have had this since our early childhood, we have already found coping mechanisms or we wouldn't have reached adulthood sanely. It is the minority or it is at very temporary times that people go through so much stress or so much discomfort that they need professional help. For the most part, we cope very well, thank you. Hmm. Uh, it's funny. I'm trying to analyze my own feelings, Dr. Turner, about why this uh, the scenario, I guess the way you laid it out, 
disturbs me so. And um, he was talking about fear. I guess a little bit of this, to me, if this is true, um, I, I feel a little bit of that fear. I understand. I, I have felt it myself, and I don't know anyone involved in this, even if they think it's the most wonderful thing that happened, has not felt some fear at some point. Um, I, I, all I can say is that fear does you no good. You have to get it out of your system the sooner the better. Fear impedes you from having the ability to assess things in a rational manner or that, in an that intuitive it does. manner. That it does, just as anger will also accomplish that. On However, the... anger is a positively motivating uh, emotion compared to fear. If you have to put an intense emotion into one or the other, I suggest anger. It helps you focus. It does help even your, your logic focusing unless you're just in a rage. Well, Whereas exactly. fear in, incapacitates your ability to react rationally. It does. It's true. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with Dr. Turner. Good evening. No, you're not. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Dr. Turner. Hi. Radio Free America. Yes. Uh, Dr. Turner, are you familiar with the term Nephilim? No, uh, yes, I am in the works of Sitchin and in some references to possible ancient, uh, or to ancient uh, Actually, documents. It, it only happened, it's only, uh, it's only uh, in the Bible twice, in Genesis and in Numbers. And uh, it refers to a, uh, a race that was on the earth that before the flood and then after the flood. And uh, a lot of biblical scholars believe um, that uh, angels at the time uh, before the flood of Noah had uh, had intercourse with, uh, mm -hmm. with uh, women. I'm familiar with that scenario. And uh, what is uh, your belief that, uh, that uh, this is what uh, could be happening? Well, um, it could be a, a partially or somewhat or a totally correct uh, account of things that occurred. I'm not ruling that out. Uh, the level of its uh, accuracy is something that's open to debate, I certainly think. Uh, perhaps that's a metaphorical way of accounting for a, a species coming in um, with the capability to genetically alter us so that we become a different race and we become, in, in a metaphorical sense, their offspring. I can see that as a possibility as much as it being a literal story or as much as it being a bewildered uh, writer's attempt to, or a group's attempt to account for a phenomenon they couldn't otherwise explain. I don't know. Uh, Dr. Turner, who would you say is doing research that you uh, most particularly admire right now of all the people in the field? In abduction work? Well, uh, in the field generally, but since you're working with abductions, that would be a good area. Mm -hmm. Well, I certainly have a great deal of admiration for uh, the, the woman who opened your program. I think Linda Howe is doing absolutely um, as accurate a work as one could ask. And certainly she's branched out from cattle mutilations to dealing with many other phases, including the abduction phenomena. Right. I find we have a great deal of our own uh, opinions about this based on what we've seen and, and dealt with very much along the same lines. Do you think the cattle mutilations are absolutely related? Yes, I do. I just don't understand the exact nature of the relationship. I really don't. All right. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air with Dr. Carla Turner. Good evening. Hi, this is John, KBI. Hello, John. Um, question. Um, I want to believe in what's going on, but I have one really kind of nagging question. I live in a housing development, okay? What if the guy next to me is being abducted and I'm not? Why don't I see 
things external to my house. Um, you could be turned off while these things are happening. For one thing, that would be the simplest explanation. People are turned off in the same bed with an abductee, much less next door. If it's necessary for you not to see it, you won't. You won't see it. So this could happen on a like a citywide scale. Of course, I, it happens in the heart of cities. It happens in small towns. It happens on the roads. It happens in public facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like a. Um lady that called earlier who said that she was in Las Vegas and only her and her husband saw a UFO uh-huh. in an intersection. Can that happen? Yes, exactly. Of course it happens. It happens over and over again. It is, that's what I was saying, that there are at least two types of sightings reports. One is a random where anyone in the vicinity by accident can observe it, and the other is where it's targeted and only the selected person or group can see it. All right, let's, let's ask this, doctor. Um, what about any specific numbers are there more men than women abducted or women than men are any areas more likely uh, than others uh, is there anything you can pin down as you start to look at all these reports not a thing not a thing not a no thing. no more abductions in this country than in France I would not I would not think so there is there is a research going on in various areas in Europe very intensely and seriously if quietly and sometimes not so quietly there is research going on in China and um, in Russia in the former Soviet Union there's research going on intensely in Japan uh, there's ongoing research in South America I would think the cultural differences would would uh, make a great deal of difference in how many are reported. Yes, that's where the difference come in on the, le- on the question of men and women both. People who have run statistics on their own cases like Jacobs and Hopkins and others, I think find a fairly even split between the sexes, fairly even. Hmm. Um, we find it in all ages, uh, from cases like in my husband's case at 11 months old uh, or even younger up to people becoming aware of it for the first time in their 60s and then finding out it had been there all along. I was going to ask about children. Um, a number of researchers concentrate on children because they feel um, uh, the, the possibility of coming up with evidence that is believable might be greater uh, working with very young children who, who haven't been exposed to programs like this, for example. Well, they're being exposed to them from a very early age. They're being exposed to programming by the, by the abductors, not by the media. Um, programming begins, I think, immediately with these these uh, recurrent abduction patterns. Uh, so yes, they're getting programmed, just not from from us. <laughs> um, which brings me back to uh, one of the things on my list of facts, and this is fact number three: during encounters, the human's perceptions are controlled, and so are the conscious memories uh, in a number of ways. Also controlled are the human's perception of pain or the lack thereof feelings of physical, sometimes sexual pleasure, mm. uh, emotional responses. We know from the data of the reports over and over again, these are controlled, not just monitored, but manipulated. All right, Dr. Turner, stand by. We're at the bottom of the hour. We've got one more segment to go. It's Sunday evening, and so, of course, this is Dreamland. I'm Art Bell. Stay right where you are. Previously broadcast program. Call Art Bell in the 
Kingdom of Nye. Toll free at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-TALK. First time callers, 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Or use the wildcard line at 702-727-1295. This is Coast to Coast AM on the CBC Radio Network. Well, no, it's not. It's Dreamland, but the numbers are good. <laughs> good evening, everybody. My guest is Dr. Carla Turner. And uh, the subject, of course, is abductions. And, Dr. Turner, I'd like to ask you, um, what about, we haven't touched on this yet, what about the supposed great government cover-up? Uh, is it your view that our government knows what's going on? Um, it's my experience that there are government agencies of some sort involved in gathering information about this phenomenon as far as the abductions are concerned. I can at least tell you that from first-hand experience, and I think the research of people in other aspects of this field have pretty much confirmed through a number of methods and means that there is government knowledge of something going on and some extent of involvement in studying it. Um, a number of cases that I'm personally acquainted with and have investigated in some instances have had uh, evidence and memory of, as well as other kinds of evidence of, interrogations by apparently human military personnel of some sort um, about this subject. Normally, in an abductee type situation, normally when they are compelled to go to a certain place to meet and be taken by this, these personnel and then to be questioned in an altered state of some sort before being returned. Sometimes they're threatened, sometimes they're not, but the subject of the questioning is what we are experiencing in these encounters. All right, very good. Back to the phones. And on the toll-free line, you're on the air with Dr. Carla Turner. Good evening. Yes, uh, I'm calling from, from from Southern Oregon. Yes, sir. I know a lot about the subject of UFOs, and um, I, I know quite a bit. I, I can tell you this. I think the only way that we'll be able to find out about what is really going on is we change our concept um, as regards the world of our environment, you know, a, a fundamental change in the way we see things. And I also wanted to, to add that uh, I'm sure your, your guest probably knows about this, that certain mushrooms that contain tryptamines and psilocybins can also uh, create, uh, I don't know if you call it a, uh, I guess you would call it a hallucination, mm -hmm. the same sort of uh, uh, altered state that, that UFOs produce. Yes, all right. Uh, some sort of altered state, Doctor? Um, that may be true. I know that there are altered perceptions from certain hallucinogens, yes. Um, however, in, in the abduction phenomena, we have evidence that is more than simply what a person thinks they saw or maybe hallucinated. We have external types of evidence after effects from these events that are very physical and external to the person. So we have evidence that at least in some cases, this, these are uh, physical phenomena. All right. Uh, on the wild card line, you're on the air with Dr. Carla Turner. Good evening. Hi, Art. Matt in Portland. Yes, Matt. Uh, Dr. Turner, you yes. talked about it just briefly. Uh, I wanted to know what you found out in your research about uh, underground bases, uh, what takes place in these uh, you know, places if they do exist. 
Uh-huh. If they do exist, if the reports are of a reality rather than of a staged or illusory uh, scenario of some sort, and that's always a possibility without further external confirmation either way, all right, I take that as a given. But the reports themselves, whatever their nature, uh, talk about uh, various kinds of activities in apparently underground facilities. Often they have both human uh, personnel, either scientific or military or both, and, and then non-human um, creatures of various kinds uh, in conjunction there with them. Sometimes these seem to be more or less military-type stations or bases, um, some are reported to be research-type facilities, and others are reported to be um, what the people sort of refer to as processing plants in which very horrific scenarios are reported involving mutilations of humans, and this is something that goes into the more lurid side mm. of the material. It's but true. nonetheless, it, it comes from a number of different cases and reports, not just the few that people may know about, and it often comes, has come from people who are what I call UFO virgins, who really have had little or no exposure to this material and certainly wouldn't know who John Lear was. Um, all right. Dr. John Mack last week and others uh, who have been on this program have said that there's a strong message that comes from the aliens or whoever they are, about ecology, about, about our ecosystem. What do you know about that? Uh, that's accurate. Um, many people are given messages or information uh, about upcoming uh, destruction or crisis situations on the planet. Some are shown scenarios as, as holographic future events of great physical destruction or other kinds of chaotic situations. Yes, that is reinforced with these scenarios, these visions and scenarios very often. All right. If um, if what about sending a message to the aliens? Uh, is does that sound crazy to you? In other words, if you've got somebody who's repeatedly being abducted, uh, what about the possibility of sending a message with them to the aliens? Uh huh. Well, if one were to, if we assume that the interaction is designed on the aliens' part for them to try to elicit certain information from us. They're only, they seem, they're totally in control of the situation first off. They're after certain things, certain procedures or certain uh, exchanges of information, if you will. You're not there as a voluntary cooperating party who has any input into what's going to go on. Uh, they control what happens. So it's, you can't go in with a message from someone and expect them to pay any attention to it. It just doesn't seem to have happened. One researcher down in Houston, Daryl Sims, has been working with a rather intriguing idea, though, uh, of implanting post-hypnotic suggestions in people whose cases are, are currently intense so that are set to go off at a subconscious level the next time the person is abducted so that they will exactly. do something extraordinary to try to break the scenario up. I'm glad somebody's working on that. Right. Good. All right. Yeah. All right. On the first time caller line, you're on the air with Dr. Carla Turner. Hi. Hello. I'm calling from Eastern Oregon. Yes, ma'am. And my question is, uh, these people, these abductees, do they ever report being able to feel these beings? Do they have a physical body that you can touch and feel? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. In many cases. Now, that varies. There are some reports and some scenarios, and I myself have had one like this, where the beings have uh, been with me and we've had telepathic communication, but they appeared physically almost translucent. I could almost almost see through them, and this is 
been reported a number of other times. At other times, they physically are quite there, and they touch you physically, and they, they can do things to you physically that leave physical marks. Yes, they have felt texture. Um, my husband, for instance, described in his initial uh, encounter at 11 months, when the creature, the smaller creature that had come to fetch him from the car, um, held him to carry him. He was only 11 months old. Carried him to the to the craft to transport him to the larger one. He could feel the texture and the solidity of the being that was holding him. When he was aboard the larger craft and a different type of creature was with him, examining him closely, he even reached up and recalled touching inside the creature's mouth. This was not one of the little greys with the non-functional mouth. It had a mouth of a certain sort that has also been reported before and had an interior material that he said felt almost spongy. Oh, how odd. All right, on the uh, toll-free line, you're on the air with Dr. Turner. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, yeah, I had a comment based on uh, an earlier caller's question. And um, All right, sir, where are you? I'm in Seattle. All right. And that was in regards to the angels part. I'd done a little bit of research myself, and... The references I've gotten biblically has been like, they've been referred to as stars, uh, lightning flashes, storm systems, beings, and whatnot. So it's kind of like anything, that, well, and by the literal definition of the term, it's messenger. Mm -hmm. So an angel or a demon is if someone perceives that they're getting some message from something or somebody. Right. Based on their own perspective, if they have a positive or a negative uh, reaction to it, that will become an angel or a demon. I and think that, it, yeah. if you remember, was it the, I can remember a couple instances, but not nothing specific, but it was like they telepathically communicated to whoever they were speaking to, and one of the first comments that was communicated was fear not type of a thing, like don't stress out over the situation and just kind of go with whatever's happening, you know. And, and that's one of the very most common initial communications uh, during an abduction, especially the bedroom encounters, is the creature communicate, do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. And another thing that uh, you were saying about uh, how people, some you could be in an area and some people will see something and other people won't. Right. Um, there was a phenomenon I heard of and related to, what was it called, uh, called geophysics, or geophysical warfare was actually a, a whole scenario that was uh, researched by the government. But they had found out there was a natural phenomenon in the south of Germany. In the late summertime, there was a type of field that kind of, kind of inhabited an entire valley and it, the whole valley kind of became lethargic and lazy and it wasn't exactly they you know they would try to do things or something but they just kind of became listless and uh kind of relaxed and couldn't really motivate themselves so like there's natural phenomena seeming to go on without any particular cause but if someone has kind of researched this type of thing they might be able to manipulate it down to a level where you know, they can just kind of tune into a certain frequency. Well, it also may, may be one of the functions of the implants. Uh, some people, well, we don't know what they are, so people hypothesize, and some think they're monitoring and tracking devices. Others think, others think that they are devices to monitor uh, some bodily system or function. Um, we have some evidence also that they are used to control in a number of ways the person with whom, in whom they're implanted. All right, Doctor, we have one last break. Hold on just a moment. We'll be right back to you. My guest is Dr. Carla Turner. This is Dreamland. Do you remember the time when you... Hi there, Dr. Turner. Hello. It's been quite a program. Um, you pull no punches, uh, and if information about this subject is negative, I've noticed uh, you're not hesitant to... Uh, Present it. Do you think a lot of researchers uh, hesitate to do that? 
Yes, I do. I think that even admittedly they do. Um, for one thing, there are some people whose concerns also include getting as much general acceptance by the mainstream scientific, medical, educational communities as they can, and you cannot hit them with this full force with all of the raw data they feel. They try to make it more palatable so that they can bring the person or the group or the uh, you know, into this more gently, more slowly, where it becomes more acceptable mm -hmm. and they can learn to at least open up and, and think about these subjects. I can understand that. Also, it is a frightening situation sometimes if what we see is taken at face value. The trouble is right now we just don't know if it is, if it should be taken at face value. With virtual reality capabilities, any number of things can be presented for our um, pseudo-experience that are not ac actually there. So we're, we're dealing still on a very primitive level with what in this is real. I, I ask this of a number of researchers, and I will ask you. Uh, given a choice, uh, if you were about to be abducted, uh, Doctor, and you had the opportunity to do it, would you run like hell, or would you sort of uh, uh, lay back and uh, just experience what was about to happen to you? If I had a choice to experience it or not, that's, um, that's right. Mm -hmm. Not certainly, I will say no until I have more understanding of what this is involving, of what the purpose is, what my part in it is, and what it's going to be ultimately uh, used for. All right, on the uh, wild card line, you're on the air with Dr. Turner. Good evening. Hi, Art. This is Jim and Chico from the Cape. Hi there. Um, I had an off the wall question. Um, has the uh, guest ever looked into um, whether the uh, abductions are with people that have, like, uh, healthy genetically, like have uh, no health problems in their family and so forth, or does it, does it matter? It is a good question. Uh, what about that, Doctor? Uh, it doesn't seem to really matter. It seems to be pretty much a cross-section the way uh, most of the general population runs. People with health problems, people who are inordinately healthy, people who develop health problems afterwards, people who are cured of health problems afterwards, um, people with handicaps, people with mental disabilities. It doesn't seem to matter. Have there been records of cures after abductions? Oh, certainly. Yes, of different kinds of either illnesses or, or chronic conditions or diseases, but as often as there have been cures, there have been reports of physical harm or after effects on the person after the abduction. Sometimes very serious, sometimes not so serious. See, the, the problem for any scientist is this whole damn thing is so random. Exactly. It, it's so random. You keep trying to put your finger on something. Well, there are more from here or more of this type or they're looking for this or they're looking for that. Uh, but it seems to be utterly random. How frustrating. And even more frustrating when we count on certain things that we take for granted and everything else we deal with is when you realize that also we may none of us have ever actually seen. I mean, I, this is possible. We have never actually seen what these things really look like given their take capabilities. Right. Right. Um, on the toll-free line, you're on the air with Dr. Turner. Good evening. Hi. Hello. Eric up in Anchorage. Anchorage, Alaska, yes. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure that what they're actually doing is taking samples and maybe growing their own species cloning. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, it's within the realm of possibilities, but it wouldn't explain all of the things that they do. I would have to see how 
the uh, all of the data would fit into that scenario. I'd have you know it have to be more specifically explained to me before I could comment really intelligently. All right, wild card line. You're on the air with Dr. Turner. Hello, where are you? Yeah. Um, this is Mark calling from Cogo in San Diego. Yes, Mark. Um, hi, Dr. Turner. Hello. I wanted to um, talk about an off the wall uh, possibility, and that's the possibility that perhaps the maybe the uh, I don't know want to say spiritual, but perhaps the the mental powers of of the collective intelligence of of all the people are perhaps creating this that that it, that they're bringing it into being. Well, that's a theory that I've heard expressed before. I mean, maybe it is off the wall. I I think that we would have to then redefine what we call bringing into being because these things are photographed, videotaped, leave landing traces, permanent ones uh, are on radar. Um, they have a real physicality. If we're creating that, then we might as well call ourselves gods, huh? Uh -huh. I wanted to ask a question about what you said. You said that um, you thought the, the beings were more concerned with the, the physical rather than the, the spiritual or mental. Could you explain that in more detail? Right. I think their agenda, unfortunately, is not a primarily spiritual program as they would have us think sometimes and as we would ourselves like to believe sometimes that they are here simply for, say, assisting us through an inevitable transition phase of uh, some catastrophe are assisting us to make the transition psychically and spiritually to the next dimension or level. Things like this are reported very frequently. Um, I don't think that explanation is covered by or covers the data in the very physical procedures that are as much a part of this as anything else that these beings do. All right, Doctor, this is out of left field. But I do uh, a lot of on-air programs, uh -huh. and I've noticed that I'm getting a lot of calls from people who feel something is impending, something is uh, something's going to happen, something big is coming, kind of an unsettled, non-specific, something's coming sort of feeling. Yeah, this is being fostered, in, uh, I think, massively. Um, I'm not sure who's doing all the fostering, although some of the alien groups, if there are various groups, and we can theorize there may well be, um, are promoting this idea very heavily. Um, also, uh, some of the people with military backgrounds who uh, talk about and research in this field have pointed toward that as well, and they may well have information from some sources we're not uh, privy to. All right. Um, on the toll-free line, you're on the air with Dr. Turner. Good evening. How are you doing? Um, I have a few questions. All right, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to state my opinion. Um, I think uh, UFOs are along the same line as, like, parapsychology and uh, stuff like that. Um, All right, sir, we don't have a lot of time, so... Okay, well, I think it's on the same line as parapsychology, uh, Mahabhava and astrology and astral body, bodies, auroras, tarot cards, witchcraft and magic. I'm sorry, this is a sudden surprise. I've been trying for about an hour to get through. Uh, I think that this kind of stuff that she's talking about and represents just pretty much sets the stage for what's to come. Uh, I don't think, if I may say, Satan wants to uh, a world that doesn't believe in religion. I think he wants a world that believes in uh, supernaturalism. All right, sir, I'm sorry, but uh, we're going to have to stop it there. Dr. Turner, we are out of time. Yes, sir. 
I'm terribly sorry. We're going to have to do this again. You've been a very good guest. While it's been unsettling, it's been fascinating, and I would I would like to uh, know that you would come back and do it again. I would very much like to. There's so much material we didn't even get close to talking about, and uh, I would love to do it again at any point. May I add one thing about my book? Sure. It is not now just exclusively available from us, although I'd be happy to take any individual orders, but many bookstores, especially the ones that carry this material uh, routinely, can get it from, their, from a number of distributors nationwide now. Good enough. Thank you, Dr. Turner. You're very welcome. Enjoyed it greatly, Art. Take care. Anybody who wants a copy of this program or any Dreamland program can get it by dialing 24 hours a day, 503-664-7966. 503-664-7966. Good night, everybody. This has been Dreamland, a program dedicated to an examination of areas in the human experience not easily nor neatly put in a box. Things seen at the edge of vision, awakening a part of the mind as yet not that. Yet things every bit as real as the air we breathe but don't see. Please join us again next week at this time for Dreamland.